0: Quick note about this podcast episode today, we're going to be talking about a passage that contains some mature themes. So if you are a kid, hit pause and go talk to a parent before you listen. Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Old Testament book of Leviticus today. Eric is our comma guy, so we're going to get right to it. Eric, what passage are we looking at today?
1: We're looking at Leviticus chapter 20, and before we have Clayton read verses 7 through 24, a, a quick fun story of something that happened at church a few weekends ago. So it was a communion weekend, and I'm in the, in the back of the auditorium at our St. Charles campus. And on communion weekends, uh, we have our elders who are available to pray for people while we're taking communion. And so, I'm in the back of the auditorium, there's some elders in the back, and Pastor Jim is leading communion from the stage, and he's giving instructions, and there's kids in the auditorium. And so, he, he says to the kids, he's telling them, you're welcome to celebrate communion, Um, as long as you understand what you're doing and your parents are cool with you participating. But the way he said it was, you are welcome to uh, celebrate communion as long as your parents have had the talk with you. (laughs) And I turned around (laughs) to one of the elders and I said, when my parents had the talk with me, it was not about (laughs) communion. (laughs) So, uh, funny story there. Uh, But let's have the talk right now Mm. about this podcast. And what this what this podcast is and what it isn't, because as we dive into Leviticus chapter 20, it's, prob- it's probably helpful for us to uh, keep things on the rails by understanding what we're trying to accomplish in this podcast. It is never our intention on this podcast to tell people what to think. What we are trying to demonstrate is how to think. So, we we are doing a few things here. One, we're demonstrating the comma method, which is just an acronym for a way to read, understand, and apply the Bible to your life. The second thing that we hope we're doing is we're demonstrating for you how to ha- how to read the scriptures and discuss the scriptures with other believers. So that's pretty much what this podcast is, is we're reading a scripture from that week's Bible Savvy Reading Schedule and having a conversation using the comma method. Uh, the third thing that we are doing, and you may not know that we're doing this, but we are, is we look at the week's Bible Savvy Reading Schedule And we very intentionally pick some of the tougher passages because we know that we could probably be helpful by discussing those trickier passages on the podcast. So, we are doing that today in spades with Leviticus chapter 20. There is just a boatload of stuff to discuss, difficult things to discuss in Leviticus chapter 20. Um, And so, just wanted to uh, put that out there for, for all of you out there listening uh, because we 're going to talk about a few pretty significant things in Leviticus chapter 20. so i 'm comma guy today, so let me set up some context here. we 're still in Leviticus, so I don 't need to spend a long time here. I just want to remind you of something that we have already said in previous episodes. Uh, and that is that when you 're reading the Levitical laws, um, it is not that God loves rules. The question you want to ask yourself is, what, what is it that God values? What is in God 's heart? That is behind the rule that he's giving his people. Um, and so you're looking for the you're looking for the value behind the rule. That's always a very helpful way to read Old Testament law. And then the second thought here is a bit of analogy, an analogy. If I was coaching a sports team and it was preseason tryout time, and I told everybody that was registered to try out, tryouts are at seven. Don't come at seven oh one. If you come one minute late, you're not making the team. You might look at me and say, dude, what's up with you in a minute? Like, do you really care about a minute that much? Well, if you look at that, you say, it's not about the minute. It's about the discipline of being there on time, being ready, because I'm trying to create a certain culture. I'm trying to form a team to be a certain way, right? In the same way, God is forming the nation of Israel, He said, I will be your God and you will be my people, and he wanted to accomplish his purposes through this group of people. So, a lot of what you're reading in the Old Testament law is God forming this society, forming this nation to be the kind of people that he's created them to be, to accomplish the purposes that he wants to accomplish. So, there you go. There's some context as we jump into Leviticus chapter 20, and now Clayton
2: is going to read. All right, Leviticus 20, starting in verse 7 Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Because they have cursed their father or mother, their blood will be on their own head. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. If a man has sexual relations with his father's wife, he has dishonored his father. Both the man and the woman are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. If a man has sexual relations with his daughter-in-law, both of them are to be put to death. What they've done is a perversion. Their blood will be on their own heads. If a man has sexual relations with a man, as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. If a man marries both a woman and her mother, it is wicked. Both he and they must be burned in the fire so that no wickedness will be among you. If a man has sexual relations with an animal, he is to be put to death, and he must kill the animal. If a woman approaches an animal to have sexual relations with it, both kill the woman and the animal. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. If a man marries his sister and the daughter of either his father or mother, and they have sexual relations, it is a disgrace. They are to be publicly removed from their people. He has dishonored his sister and will be held responsible. If a man has sexual relations with a woman during her monthly period, he has exposed the source of her flow, and she has also uncovered it. Both of them are to be cut off from their people. Do not have sexual relations with the sister of either your mother or your father, for that would dishonor a close relative. Both of you would be held responsible. If a man has sexual relations with his aunt, he has dishonored his uncle. They will be held responsible. They will die childless. If a man marries his brother's wife, it is an act of impurity. He has dishonored his brother. They will be childless. Keep all my decrees and laws and follow them, so that the land where I am bringing you to live will not vomit you out. You must not live according to the customs of the nations I am going to drive out before you, because they did all these things, and I abhorred them. But I said to you, you will possess their land, and I will give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has set you apart from the nations."
1: All right, so we move on to the O in the comma method, which is observation, which I'm sure there's plenty out there. So what do you guys got? Observations.
0: It's a lot of hard, harsh stuff in this passage.
1: What do you mean by harsh?
0: Uh, it's like, well, if they do this, they should be put to death. So if you do that, you should be put to death. So, I mean, it's just over and over and over again.
2: Yeah, there there is definitely a lot of... Um, yeah, it feels it feels like there's not a lot of wiggle room here, uh, and and it's the most extreme kind of punishment that can come on someone for doing any of these things.
1: Yeah, could you imagine if the only thing you knew about God or only your only thoughts were through the filter of reading this portion in Leviticus
2: 20? Yeah, you'd have a certain you'd have a certain uh, perspective on what God is like. Yeah, for and sure. I, I know a lot of people who have read stuff like this in the Old Testament, and they say. Gee, whiz! What was wrong with him back then? you know like they're they're familiar with Jesus and they get the sense of like, look he's the guy who welcomes kids he's you know love your neighbor, this sort of thing like what what was wrong with God you know a couple thousand years earlier did he like? Have some time to cool off? Do you go to therapy? Like what what happened? Did he go to therapy? I love the
0: question what was wrong with God?
1: I was actually wondering why Clayton has friends that still say gee whiz. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's my translation. Gee whiz, Clayton. Gee, golly.
0: Actually that's what that's what Clayton says. Gee, yeah. gee whiz.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a that, that is a that is a question I have fielded a lot as a pastor. Why does God seem so mean and angry in the old testament, but so nice and happy in the New Testament? Um, to which I normally respond a few things. Uh, primarily, read the Gospels again, everybody, and ask yourself if Jesus was always as passive and as kind and soft-spoken as you know movies make him out to be. He's pretty confrontational sometimes, and very much demonstrates what God likes and does not like. So I don't think it's I don't think it's fully true to say God was mean in the Old Testament and always nice in the in the New Testament.
2: Yeah, I think there's there's also some perspective too of uh, what what God is doing with these laws because w- one of the rules you you should have in the back of your mind whenever you're reading a law in the Old Testament is that there there are a few different kinds of laws and how they apply to us as people you know post Jesus. Uh, varies depending on the kind of law that it is, because you've got to remember that Israel was uh, a nation, okay? So they, they had a, a, a political government that was run according to the structure that God laid out. That is not true of the the nations that we're a part of, um, and, and things have, have uh, changed in terms of uh, things that Jesus has fulfilled, and so they're complete, and things that carry on, and so on. So there are kind of three categories that people sort them, uh, the laws into, and these categories are not like labeled there in the Bible. These are just people who have looked and tried to make sense of it. They've, they've put these labels on it. So there are some that we call moral laws. Those are ones that carry on. So do not murder, do not lie, do not steal. Those, those ones that we say, those are universal for all time. There are others that are ceremonial laws. Those are ones that have to do with kind of the worship life of, of the people, we've read a lot of those in Leviticus about sacrifices and things like this. And then there are what we call civil laws. Those are the ones that are about the government. That's how society is run. Um, and so what we have in this passage is a tricky combination of two of those categories. We have some some aspect of this, there are moral laws. These are laws about sexuality that are reaffirmed in the New Testament. So we know that they carry on, that you can't sleep with you know, your relative, that's still not okay. Um, but there are also civil laws connected to it, meaning there are civil punishments for what can happen. And so we get very hung up about the fact that uh, on the one hand, there are things that God would say, no, these are still standards I have for you. And on the other hand, there are things that he would say, no, don't do that in your society. I'm not uh, calling you to have the death penalty for this huge list of sins.
1: Yeah, and it's virtually impossible to cleanly separate those two categories. The ceremonial laws, you can pretty easily set aside and say, that was the sacrificial system, the temple system, Jesus fulfilled that through, through the atonement on the cross, right? So you can pretty easily take that whole category and say, okay, I can understand how Jesus would be the fulfillment of that, and those no longer apply to Gentile believers. The civil law and the moral law, I've heard people say, well, you shouldn't legislate morality. Well, we do it all the time. I mean shoplifting, or I mean, if you think about the laws that govern society, they're they're so intertwined with morality yeah. that you cannot separate the two. So it's a it's a it's a tricky thing to navigate. So, uh, what other observations do we we have in Leviticus twenty?
2: Well, it's uh, it's all about sexuality here, um, and so that's a, that's a, a, that's a touchy subject in our society uh, for lots of different reasons. Um, some of these are things that, um, you know, that just, again, it's intense to cover all of these sexual things. Uh, and then there are, there's at least one thing in here that uh, m- most people in our society would say, uh, this is not morally wrong, and yet God is saying it's morally wrong. So that's homosexuality. So it talks about a man sleeping with another man as one would lie with a woman. So that, that in there, not only is our society saying, why are you so hung up about sex— but why are you condemning this, which we would say is not something to condemn? It's something to, to celebrate and affirm. Yeah, I was reading a, an article this morning that, you know, you always
1: wonder if you can, what, what studies you should believe, right? And, you know, this Gallup poll or, or this poll, but was, it came out that five, now 5% of the US population identifies at least as same sex attracted. Um, and so this, this for sure is a topic that's becoming more and more prevalent in our society. Um, I, I can remember several years ago preaching a message from Genesis, and it didn't dawn on me until I preached it, and a few people stood up and walked out of the, out of the church, and I was like, oh, I just said something that's very countercultural, which wasn't always true. Even in my lifetime as a pastor, I, I said something from the pulpit that I think 15, 15 20 years prior would have been completely culturally accepted. I was preaching in Genesis talking about marriage and the three points were marriage is permanent, not temporary, uh, monogamous, not polygamous and heterosexual, not homosexual. And I took it right out of the the Genesis text where God creates man and woman for this reason, the, you know, the woman will leave, you know, leave her family and cleave to the man. And, and as soon as I said that, I was like, Oh, that's right. Society culture has shifted and now something that used to be in the morally wrong category, culturally speaking, has now slid over to the acceptable category, but has God changed his mind on the topic, right? And when you read Leviticus 20 on these kinds of things, you go, oh gosh, like now we're in it.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes when Christ followers, when they read that, those passages that talk about uh, sexual sin and homosexuality, they read that and they say, well, that's, that's what God's word says, so that's it's wrong. It just says what it is, but they'll then take it and they communicate it with people who have different opinions than them very harshly. It's, it's not very loving. It's not kind. It's, it's, it kind of shuts the conversation off and creates a lot of division.
2: Yeah. I, I think there's this, uh, this huge tension um, between love and truth. And now It feels like a tension. I say it's huge, but the reality is those two things are supposed to go together, um, but we often separate them and we, we put them at odds with each other of loving people but also uh, affirming the truth, and uh, those those things should actually complement each other. Um, but it is it is really difficult when we're talking about homosexuality. Uh, people's experiences in churches have been really hard, especially when people have misused passages like this one. And so, um, there may be some people listening to this who that that's your experience. So you maybe you grew up in a church, or you found your way into a church. And however you describe your internal experience, maybe you say, I'm, I'm same-sex attracted, or you say, I'm gay, or bi, or lesbian, or whatever label you use, you know, you know people have applied these moral rules to me, and, and I, I have felt rejected by churches. So here's what I want to say loud and clear. I cannot address everything that I would like to. This is a massive conversation, but there are a few things that I want to make sure anybody who—that's your experience, you hear this, okay? For, first of all, we know that this is really hard for you. So so sometimes people throw out what the Bible teaches about this as if it's a simple, straightforward kind of thing. But for you, the experience of finding out, realizing that you are attracted to people of the same sex, uh, for most people, that is an incredibly distressing thing uh, because all of a sudden it throws off the script for things. And I've never met a gay person who said, oh, I just decided to do this. Like every one of them is like, why would I choose this for myself? This is not an, an easier, better life for me. And so uh, we, we acknowledge that, and we acknowledge that the additional pressure of trying to read the Bible with that experience, when everybody in the world is shouting about what you should do or shouldn't do, and the people on the right think that you're a problem, and the people on the left think you're a cause, and everybody's trying to use you for something, it is just a high-pressure situation to figure out your own sexuality and your own spirituality in this cultural environment. And so we acknowledge that this is really hard. Second thing I want you to hear is that um, the, the Bible is clear that what is... Prohibited is the action of having sex with someone of the same sex. It is not the fact that you experience those attractions. So, just think about it this way. So, the, the typical straight guy. So, I'm talking for myself. If I, I know, like, if I walk into a room, I I recognize when there is a good-looking woman there in a way that I don't for a good-looking man. It just isn't instinct for me. That's just how I'm wired, right? But just because I notice that doesn't mean that I have engaged in lust, or I've cheated on my wife, or, or committed any sin at all. It's just the way I'm wired. And I've got a choice now what to do with that. I can, I can act or think in a sinful way about that. But the fact that I notice that is not the sin. Same goes for you. A lot of people walk around thinking, am I perpetually guilty and condemned and ought to be ashamed because this is the way you know, I find my, my attractions going? And the Bible says, no, the attractions are not the sin but your choices might be sinful. So in another way to put it, temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin.
1: Yeah. Something to point out here on that is Jesus was tempted in every way. Yes. And yet was without sin. So if you, uh, if you find yourself being tempted about anything, but can, can overcome the
2: temptation and not sin, you're in the company of Jesus. Hmm. Yes. That's good. That's right. Another thing I want you to hear, um, we know that this is gonna be costly to follow Jesus in this way, is, is a big ask. And, and the truth is this, there are some commands in the Bible that are, that are harder for other people to follow than others because of your circumstances. And for you, this is one of those. And what you're being asked to say no to, very likely, is something that is a genuine cost. Romance, sex, those are good things that God made. And to say, unless my orientation miraculously changes, which it does not do for most people, you may find yourself in a situation where you say, I have to deny myself good things, That otherwise would have been available to me. And that is very difficult. So when you bear the burden of that, here's what I want you to do. Don't picture some preacher, some church person saying, this is what you have to do. Picture Jesus telling you, this is what I'm asking you to do. And don't just picture Jesus randomly. Picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane about to do something he really didn't want to do, of of weeping and saying, God, is there another way? I want to follow you, I want to do your will, but this is going to be really, really hard. That's the Jesus who's saying, I want you to follow me. I'm not gonna ask you to do something that's harder for you than what I did for you was for me. Uh, One more thing. You are more than your sexuality, okay? You can get so hung up on all of this stuff, and it can become the, the sun around which your life revolves. And it is important. It's something that affects you deeply. But you are so much more than that. And do not, do not let the debate around this reduce you to this is, this is what defines my life. You have gifts, you have passions, you have experiences, you have things that you bring to communities that are a gift and a blessing. And in all of this, in all of this, remember that God wants you and he loves you. He, he absolutely is for you. He does not see you as a problem. He sees you as a treasure. And, and we, we just want to make this commitment. If you're in the area of Christ Community Church and you show up here, we want to make the commitment that we will, will see you not as a problem, but a treasure, as someone we love, someone we want. Um, it can be messy, uh, but you need to know that God and His people love you and want you.
1: This is reminding me of uh, a moment in time about oh gosh, I don't know, four or five years ago now, maybe, uh, when I was pastoring in, in Cincinnati, and I was I had met and was talking to a guy. I don't know, he was probably in his thirties. Uh, I went out to lunch with him. You know, he told me he was gay. He was finding his way into the church community. And he asked me this question and I just laughed. He goes, so like if I join a small group or a serving team or something and I tell them I'm I'm gay, is like, is it going to be awkward, or are people going to treat me okay, or how's that going to go? And I just started laughing. I'm like, dude, there is no way I can promise you that every interaction you have is going to be with a super mature, level headed, yeah. you know, person, right? Because churches are made up of all kinds of people. Some people who are brand new to the faith, who are still learning and growing and maturing. Uh, other people are further along in their maturity, right? So when you're involved in any church community. You're going to bump into super thoughtful people and people that just kind of spew whatever is on their mind, and you're going to you're going to come across all kinds of people. Um, but I I second uh, Clayton's invitation um, and affirm everything you just said, Clayton. That was that was really really good. Uh, so here's here's an, an analogy in my head on this. In in terms of uh, just being kind and loving. Uh, Let's say I took a baseball bat and I just started swinging away at someone, just started pounding them with a baseball bat. You might look at me and say, dude, like, that's not what baseball bats are for, right? And it is a a complete misuse of a baseball bat. Like, bats are meant to be swung. They're just not meant to be swung at people, right? It's just a complete misuse. It's not a baseball bat was created to hit a ball. Sometimes. People take texts like Leviticus chapter 20, and they put it on a sign, and they go out on a street, and they scream their heads off, uh, telling people how much God hates them because of their same-sex attraction. Leviticus 20 is not a baseball bat, y'all. And so let's just remember to be kind and loving people, regardless of what topic we are discussing. All right, let's circle back to our first observation here, just for a minute or two, because we we started off by observing that God just seems very harsh in Leviticus chapter 20. And I know that Clayton has a few thoughts on this, and so I'm putting on the the ball on the tee right now to let Clayton share a few
2: thoughts. Yeah, so this is a strange place to start reading about sex in the Bible, because the Bible has a lot to say about sex. And the surprising thing is, if you look at all of it, people don't realize this, but the Bible's really, really positive about sex. Like God made it, it's his idea, it's a good gift that he gave to people. And so uh, if you zero in on all the rules about how things could go wrong or it could be misused, if that's where you start, it really skews the perspective. So analogy that helps me think about this is, let's say you went to a basketball game and your very first experience of basketball was walking into a locker room at halftime when the team is down by like 15 points, okay? So the, the, the first half has gone terrible and the coach is talking to the team about what needs to happen in the second half. And so he is, he is laying into them. He's saying, stop doing this, start doing that. He's telling them all the things they need to correct. And it's, a, it's a, a weighty kind of thing. They're feeling the heaviness of this. Now, if that was your first experience of what is it like to play basketball? What's it like to be on this team? You might think, why would anybody wanna do this? Like, this is not cool what you don't see if that's where you start is first of all the the love of the game you know that there's something good about this that all of the these guys on this team they they enjoy it they're uh, excited about it that they're they're in this cuz they're passionate about it and their relationship with their coach that this guy is actually a really good guy he loves them he's there for them uh, he's someone that they trust that there's actually a, a lot of affection there within that team so that by the time you get to this halftime you know lecture you You've got this whole context of actually, the reason I care about this is because I have a relationship with this coach and I love this game. Not, oh gosh, here's a bunch of things I need to start doing or stop doing. And that's what this can feel like. And that's what all of the rules can actually feel like if you get it outside of that context. Uh, What God is really doing here is saying, I've given you something so good and so powerful that when you misuse it, it has serious consequences. And I do not want you to have those consequences in your life. I mean, look at our society. We've got. Uh, situations where the misuse of sexuality has created so so many problems, whether it's you know uh, predatory men or uh, people having affairs or pornography, you know screwing up people's you know sexual perspectives. There, there's so much so much damage that God's saying, "I want to spare you from that. I want you to have the goodness of this, not not the the damage from it."
1: Let it be recorded in the annals of podcast history. That Clayton Keenan just used a sports analogy.
2: Sports! Sportsing!
1: Man, right I, w- I wish I had my sound effects ready to go. <laughs> I feel so ill prepared for what just happened. All right, context we've done, observation we've done. Let's move on to message. And uh, because we know that we have uh, already pushed the time limits on this podcast episode, uh, we're gonna land this plane pretty fast. Here, here is a message uh, that we draw out of this text for Leviticus chapter 20. We started by saying, man, it just feels harsh. The reality is some things are serious and some things are more serious than others. And so the message that we're gonna pull out of Leviticus chapter 20 is that it, we would, it would be good for us to take seriously the things that God takes seriously. So we're gonna give you 45 seconds to ponder this question. Lord, are there things that you take seriously? that I haven't been taking seriously. we've done context, observation, message, and meditation. We move on to application. What do you guys have for an application?
0: Uh, Just thinking about the taking seriously the things that God takes seriously. um, This passage, even though we talked about a lot, uh, it brings up a lot of questions still. There's a lot of things that we didn't get a chance to address. And I think what's important when we read passages like this is, obviously, God takes it seriously because it's in his book, and when we don't understand a lot about it or we have a lot of questions left from it, we need to take seriously the act of actually digging into it and learning more about it. Um, That means spiritual discipline of just having good conversations with people uh, reading books, getting in touch with resources that teach us how to wrestle with the passage in a way that helps us to learn more about what God values, and then how to go out and love people with it. How do we live it out the way that God wants us to live it out?
2: Yeah, there's a, a couple of uh, resources that might be worth following up on. Um, what, what about each of our, our topics here in terms of God being harsh and about uh, sexuality? So in terms of God being harsh, there's a book called God Behaving Badly, by David Lamb. David Lamb is an Old Testament professor. We've actually had him here to speak uh, at our church, and uh, he's a great guy, and he wrote a book about all the things in the Old Testament that people look at and say, what was wrong with God back then? Uh, and so uh, it, he, it's, it's a fun book to read, um, and, and I'd recommend that. The second book uh, on, in terms of uh, homosexuality is a book called People to be Loved by Preston Sprinkle, which is a name that always makes me laugh a little bit, um, but it's a really good book. It both covers the biblical passages about uh, homosexuality, and then uh, r- what's really helpful is, the whole second half is, how do you relate to people? How do you talk about it? Uh, how do you how do you live in a world where this is a thing? Um, and so I'd, I'd recommend that. The other thing I'd recommend is, I actually did a sermon on Leviticus 18, which is a parallel passage to this, uh, about four years ago. We're gonna uh, post a link for that, but you can go search for that on the uh, Christ Community website. Uh, the title of the, the sermon is actually Old Testament Sex Laws. Yeah, we're going there. So, that's that's where you can find it. <laughs> that's a
1: long sermon title. What was the title of the, the book you mentioned about God in the Old Testament? What was that one? God Behaving Badly. Okay. And the name of the author? David Lamb. Okay. David Lamb is much better at titling his stuff than you are. <laughs> that is for sure. <laughs>
0: All right, friends, that is all the time that we have for you. We know we've covered a lot. And as far as those uh, resources go, you can find them in the episode description of the podcast. So just click on those and uh, you can learn more about what we just talked about. Uh, We hope you'll join us next Monday. In the meantime, if you are not following along with with the reading plan, you can go to biblesavvy.com to download it and to start reading along. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. You can also email us at podcast at biblesavvy.com. Tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week.